0: Hello, I'm Kate Fisher. Welcome to Milkshakes for Mali, the podcast that tells the survival stories of blood product recipients, to thank donors and to encourage people to donate blood, plasma, platelets or breast milk. Here at the Milkshakes for Mali podcast, we aim to bridge the gap of anonymity between donors and their recipients. If you have ever been a donor, you could have been the one to save the life of the guests that we profile here each week and becoming a donor in the future means that you too could become a part of this story. Today, we are joined by blood product recipient and disability advocate, Lisa Cox. Lisa had a stroke at the age of 24 that resulted in a year in hospital, pneumonia, heart attacks and uncontrollable seizures. She died twice in hospital, had open heart surgery, a hip replacement and had one of her legs, all of her toes and her fingertips amputated. The permanent damage to her brain has impacted her speech and memory and has taken 25% of her sight, left her living with epilepsy and using a wheelchair. But she is still alive and that is due to the incredible donations given to her by Australian blood donors. And as you will see in our interview, she isn't wasting a moment of her second chance. I hope you enjoy my chat with the formidable Lisa Cox. Alright, hi Lisa, welcome to the Milkshakes for Marley podcast. Hi,
1: thanks so much for
0: having me on. Um, I don't really know where to start um, with writing an introduction to your episode. I usually give a bit of an introduction at the top of who you are and what you do and I feel like there's just so much diversity in what you offer. Um, an author, a writer, a presenter, a disability advocate, a media inclusion specialist. Um, how would you self-describe what you do?
1: of this, bit of that. <laughs> um, yeah, writing is is my is my passion I suppose. Media marketing advertising is my professional background. Mm-hmm. But um, I acquired a disability at the age of twenty four so I've managed to fuse together my professional background with my uh, lived experience and disability and these days I teach brands and businesses how to to represent disability in media, um, in their their content, I suppose. Um, and I do a, a bit of this mat on site. Amazing.
0: <laughs> um, can you tell me a little bit about what your life was like before you had your stroke?
1: Sure. It was. Uh, I don't want to say typical because no one's life is typical. I <laughs> <laughs> <No. laughs> The ordinary life, I suppose, but I grew up in, in Brisbane, up in Australia, and went to school and university here, and when I, when I left university, moved to Melbourne for work, I worked in advertising agencies as a provider, so I made ads for national and international brands, mm-hmm. um, and I really loved my work, I was, I was very fortunate to find a job that I loved, and it was was doing pretty well at that, so I was doing what a lot of people my age do slowly climbing the corporate ladder and traveling overseas and doing all of those sorts of things. And then the proverbial hit the fan, yeah. And um, found myself at Melbourne Airport one morning, don't remember any of this, but um, apparently, well, according to flight staff, and everyone was. Doing, that was around, I up at the airport because I had a brain hemorrhage. And that's, that's how it all started snowballing from there. Mm-hmm.
0: So you said brain hemorrhage. I said having a stroke. Um, is that yeah. one in the same thing?
1: That's a very good question. Yeah, apparently, yeah. apparently, yes. I'm sure there's someone with a medical profession, or medical background out there who will explain the intricate differences yeah, sure. to me, but... Um, from from my understanding, or from at least what the, the medical people tell me, they're they're much insane, But I'm sure there are some some small differences. Yeah, sure. But for one of a a bit of word there.
0: They're very similar, yeah, amazing. And we always <laughs> remind listeners that, uh, sorry, we always remind our guests and our listeners that this isn't a medically and scientifically correct podcast. All we ask okay. is that you speak of your experience. Okay. So, and I'm okay. not a doctor, so I can't verify any of the medical definitely
1: stuff. Definitely not a doctor or a neurologist, <laughs> and everything in layman's terms is just yeah.
0: so my <laughs> Absolutely, and we, yeah, we like to focus on you know what. People have been able to achieve in their lives after being blood product recipients. So that part of your story is the most important to us today here on the podcast. Um, what should our listeners do if they suspect that someone is having a stroke? Uh,
1: if they if they think someone is having a stroke, definitely seek help. Call an ambulance. Yeah. If um, if someone is perhaps standing mm-hmm. or in an area where they could could collapse or could fall make sure they are somewhere somewhere safe so you're sitting down perhaps um mm-hmm. not in say uh, the middle of the car park or somewhere like where they can sit and oh, sorry fall and hit yes. the head yeah or something like that and i uh, say that. Um, because I have epilepsy now, and we said the same things to people who, who perhaps are at risk of epileptic procedures. Um, um, so, yeah, making sure that they're, they're somewhere safe and calling zero or whatever, emergency services
0: number is in your local area yeah you literally took the words right out of my mouth i was about to say not dissimilar um our daughter has epilepsy and she has frequent seizures and that's literally what we tell people if they say what do we do if we think she's going to have a seizure it's literally just keep her safe stop her from you know move her into the middle of a room make sure that she hasn't got hard surfaces under her head if that's possible um Seek further help. There isn't a great deal else that you can do in that situation. Um, so, before this happened, you're 24. You've recently been offered your dream job. You've been playing elite level sport, and then a brain hemorrhage threatens your life. Ultimately, your love, your life is saved by blood donors. Um, do you have any recollection at all of receiving those first blood products?
1: Not the first. Blood products, but after that, I definitely do. Yeah, I I have no recollection first couple of months in hospital. My Mm -hmm. family, my beautiful family, certainly do. Um, While I was in induced coma and life support um, and out cold, they were there, wide awake, witnessing all of it. So I, I certainly don't remember Mm -hmm. thing, But unfortunately, they were there for it and certainly remember every moment
0: yeah so what were those initial blood products used for do you know
1: i had complete organ failure and so while all of i'm assuming <laughs> that while yeah, all sure. of my blood was being was being flushed out and everything was 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 going on mm-hmm. um um they were they were cleaning cleaning things out yeah
0: and And, you know just the amount of surgery that you've had as well they would have needed those blood products on hand even to start those surgeries even if you didn't need them during some of the surgeries Um, and that's certainly something that we discussed with Dr Dinesh Palapana as well is that he actually doesn't remember whether he needed blood products immediately following his car accident for some of his injuries but he knows He wouldn't have been able to have the treatment that he did had there not been blood products available for him to have those initial surgeries. So, and I know that you have done some work with him as well.
1: he's a beautiful man. I have all the time in the world. He's a good friend and a really, really great soul. Yeah. Yeah, Yes, and thanks to uh, blood products both of us here today we we certainly owe a lot to our donors
0: yeah absolutely um so what was the hardest part of your rehab once you came through having all of that time in hospital and all of the surgery i think so many people think that you know once you've come through that acute phase of it you can kind of just get on with your life but that's when your rehab process really starts
1: so, so many. Which part I choose? Yeah. <laughs> so many, and to be to be completely transparent, it's still happening to that. Yep. Sixteen years on today, mm-hmm. um, just my sixteen-year anniversary, not that long ago, and mm-hmm. I'm still learning new things. So I have acquired brain injury, mm-hmm. and my left leg was amputated. I'm in a wheelchair full time, and so there there are still things I learn now, and the brain is a beautiful beautiful thing um, I was telling my mother-in-law on, on the phone only this morning that brain injury is sometimes hilarious I will forget a conversation that my husband and I had 20 minutes ago but I still remember the lyrics to a song from 20 years ago so it, it works in really mysterious ways but there are there are strange things that I'm still learning but in some ways the hardest thing for me was society, um, the way the way society dealt with my disability, me learning to adapt to my new body, that I kind of dealt with that mm-hmm. I won't say it was easy because it was challenging. Of course. I kind of, every day learning to eat with learn to feed yourself again and dress yourself again mm-hmm. and hold a cup of water. I had to learn to do everything again. Mm-hmm. Like a toddler, anyone who's, who's raised a child, I haven't, but learning, watching a child go through all those first milestones. I was doing all of that at the age of 24 mm-hmm. and 25, um, tying my shoelaces again for my hair and a ponytail for the first time. And that was really, really challenging, but I did it all. Mm-hmm. But even today, um, I've become those obstacles of social stereotyping and people still um, not quite knowing what to do with me mm. because I look different and people, people like me. Mm. Um, and that really is why I love the work I do today, mm-hmm. I suppose, because um i'm very fortunate to have my voice Mm -hmm. which i didn't have for a long time i had to learn to speak again for the first few months i had to point at a board of letters to spell out my name Mm -hmm. Mm l-i-s-a and that was how i communicated so now i'm so grateful to have my voice back i can jump on my soapbox and advocate Mm -hmm. for other people who perhaps don't um Have have that ability, and I I can write very, very slowly.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So uh, that, to me, is is an absolute privilege. Um, and I I don't take that for granted at all, so I want to use that as, as best I can. Yeah,
0: and as the mother of three children with various physical and neurodiverse disabilities, I am so incredibly grateful for the work that you do because that's paving the path for them in terms of what their career opportunities will look like and the way that employers will view them, you know, as potential employees and it just yeah I've watched your career for a little while and I'm just so 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 deeply grateful for the way that you're changing the world that my children will grow up into so thank you so much. Um, So tell me about living the first quarter of a decade of your life without a disability and then trying to navigate the world in a wheelchair and I frame this question in Marley was mixed use in a wheelchair for a long time. She's now six. Um, She's not mixed use in a wheelchair. She's not using a speech device at the moment. She's very stable. Um, She has recovered some of that brain function that she had lost from the prolonged status epileptic seizures that she was having. Um, And while not in a wheelchair myself, as her carer, trying to navigate the world with a child in a wheelchair and a service dog, you realised that the world just is not set up at all for people to navigate in that way. And it's really little things like, you know, the width of aisles in shops and not being able to walk through them or you can get in, but then you can't get back out again or being able to, you know, disability friendly bathrooms and being able to get in and out of there and, you know, people parking in disability car spaces, which just drives me insane. Um, I had a, Fun experience the other day where a gentleman was in a delivery van and was at our school and I was trying to take Marley into school and he parked in the disability parking, which is the only parking I can use for her. There's only one disability parking spot at that side of our school that I can use to get her into her classroom. Um, Delivering flowers to someone at the front office. Oh, just wait a minute, you know, I've just got to quickly take these in. I'm like, you don't have a disability parking permit. I need to take my child into her classroom oh you'll be right you'll just wait a minute so I just parked my car in front of him and just parked him in and I took her to her classroom and he came out and he was yelling at me and I was like that's oh, alright I'll just be a minute I'll just do what I need to do so I can't you know and that's just me as a carer navigating the world with her and her needs it must be such a big transition to be navigating the world as independently as you can possibly be while facing those challenges as well
1: it's it's been incredibly frustrating, but at the same time it's each time it fuels me to continue the work I'm doing. So pre-disability I was of the type A independent independent woman yeah. and still am but it proved this real um, there was this point at which I was still in my head anyway, this this really Fiercely independent woman, mm-hmm. saying, so, No, 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 I can do it all by myself. Uh, Mum, can you please sell my shoelaces?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. I, I really had to, um, not so much swallow my pride, I can't think of the right word. Because yeah. I, I certainly, certainly had no problems asking for help. Mm-hmm. I, I very quickly learned that no worries there, that's, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, gave up, gave up any, any semblance of the the fierce independence I had. You knew very quickly that have to call in yeah, call healthy help here. So I still have that fierce independence, but have a, a lot of people around to support mm-hmm. and help now. So
0: and how important that is.
1: Um, um, so, I, I do feel your pain. The the not just the delivery drivers, but oh my gosh, people, please, yeah.
0: And if you think that it's inconvenient and it's raining a little bit so you want to park a bit closer, can you imagine what it's like for the people that actually... Like, disability parking permits aren't easy to get, you know. They're only allocated to people that really need them. Um
1: and not for doing your hair and trying on clothes. Oh, no. (laughs) So I've
0: had some incredible conversations with Monique Murphy, Um the swimmer and I interviewed her for this podcast, and we talked a bit about this. And there were just times where I'll just send her a photo. Now <laughs> it's just this unspoken rage between us that needs go no further. <laughs> it's just the way it is. <laughs> um, so you describe yourself as disrupting stereotypes, challenging and changing disability representation in pop culture, and as a media diversity professional. What do you wish that our listeners understood about living life with a disability?
1: I would like to say that it's it's no different to living life without a disability, but that would just be a sugar situation and a complete load of BS. Anyone out there who's living life with a disability would know that that's not true at all because... Firstly, it's so different for absolutely everybody, I and mean, I can't speak on behalf of everybody. For some people, life is way different. Mm. Um, and it's, it's so wonderful that we have certain advocates out there speaking speaking for, for the disability or on behalf of the disability community, but they certainly can't speak on behalf of everybody. Um, so. It's it's always really important to remember that if you if you hear the voice of one disabled person, whether it's me or somebody else, you're only hearing the voice of one disabled person. Mm. Um, there's so many of us out there. One in five people have a have a disability. So mm. don't don't please please don't ever forget that. I'm assuming that most of your your listeners have a disability, would I read, correct?
0: Or... Um, so we tell the survivor stories of blood product recipients. So we have interviewed a lot of people on the pod um, that do have disability. And that, to me, is just about, you know, being the mum of three kids with disabilities, that's as much about inclusion and seeing that broad range of people as anything else. Having said that, there's a lot, you know, we've got amputees and we've got different people that have been on the pod that lots of the people who have... You know, acquired disability through their life have got good stories of being blood product recipients as well and great survival stories. So, and we really like to showcase that as part of the podcast, but we do have quite a big following of people with disability. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, With yeah, all such a
1: difference. So, 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 different. so it, would be, it would be really hard to sit here and
0: say,
1: mm. Where are all this or where are all that or, or yeah. something. Yeah. Something like that, but get out and know us all. Get to know the person before before you get you know the, the disability. I suppose I I work with an organisation called Media Diversity Australia, and we work with journalists in the media, and encourage journalists and media professionals to before they write the story about a person with a disability and write just about disability, and so and so has autism and this is their autism. We're not the individual and. Learn, learn a little bit more about them and as opposed to the diagnosis because we are all so much more than our diagnosis and our you
0: know big fat medical file in my case medical files <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. mm. um and you know we are recording this episode as well not that long after dylan Orcott has been named australian of the year and as phenomenal as that is we're also working through this podcast to show that you know for, for not and not always but the media representation you see of him is him w- winning tennis championships and you know white man in a wheelchair there is so much more to disability than just that and you know and that's not taking anything away from him or the phenomenal advocacy work that he's done or you know, we're in a such mu- you know, so much better position in terms of the public discourse and the narrative around disability because of the phenomenal work that he's done. And I mean, no disrespect to Dylan in saying that whatsoever. Um, but if you take a look in, you know, through our front door into our house, we have, you know, three children that have autism in varying ranges, um, three kids that have got a global developmental delay. They all have learning disabilities. Um, you know, Marley has a brain injury from her autoimmune encephalitis and her prolonged seizure activity and we're expecting that to progress through her life. She will relapse and that will get worse. So, you know, we've got disability equipment in a house and we've got a service dog that's with us all the time and that's just one tiny little snapshot of one house and what our home looks like. So you think about all of the different people with disability across Australia and the differences that means in terms of you know cultural things and all sorts of things it's just such a big rich picture of people that have just got so much to offer um and I think where we've run into problems is that assumption that if people look on paper at what our children's list of diagnoses are they make so many assumptions about what they can't do rather then getting to know them <laughs> and realizing what an incredible contribution they can make in so many ways. So
1: true. Yeah, that's exactly right. That like, like, those assumptions based on what somebody has heard mm. in ADR or what somebody has heard about their neighbours, sons, cousins.
0: So <laughs> yeah. much. <laughs> yeah. And have you just tried turmeric? Have you tried yoga? That might make oh, you oh, your don't leg go be back.
1: do me <laughs> on that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so many of the things (laughs) um so after you got married you wrote an open letter to the blood donors who saved your life um and among many other places that i've seen and it was published by the huff post and i'll just read a little bit of your letter if that's okay during the podcast um and we'll pop a link to it in the show notes as well and so you wrote dear stranger Thank you for helping to save my life. I wouldn't be writing this if it wasn't for you. I'm so grateful for your kindness. You have no idea how much your generosity has meant to me and my family. You will never meet my mum, dad, brother and sister, but they also want to send their immense thanks. Amongst all the memories of my wedding day and all the reasons I had to smile, I took a moment to whisper my thanks to you. I wanted to send you a photo from our wedding, but I don't have your address, so I'm writing this instead, and I really hope it reaches you. Um, This is just so powerful, and it totally reflects the reason that I wrote this podcast. Um, It's to tell the survival stories of blood product recipients, and to bridge that gap of anonymity between donors and their recipients, because... The reason Marley's still alive today is because of blood donors and they, you know, save her life when she's acutely unwell and every plasma infusion she has in between is life-preserving for her. Um, what motivated you to write that letter and what response have you had?
1: I've had a, an overwhelmingly positive response and I could not be more grateful to my blood donor, uh, my blood donors. Yeah. Um, I don't remember my first transfusion, but I do remember subsequent transfusions. I had open heart surgery several years later um, and was told that I would need a blood transfusion then. And I was petrified because um, I I was just scared basically being in cardiac ICU Mm. and just remember looking at the blood bag up there, and thinking, "My gosh, that's firstly that's that's someone's blood, and how what a gift that is," um, and being just just being so grateful and knowing that, that at that moment I had uh, an engagement ring on on my finger at that time. I got engaged um, only a few months earlier, mm-hmm. and knowing during the during the wedding that. I was I was really only there because of that, or those donors, or that donor, or how it worked out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's that's really what inspired me to, mm-hmm. to write that. To write that. Mm-hmm. So it really did did mean did mean so much to me. I have I have so many people to be grateful for in the hospital system, but certainly the the blood donors are are one of those one of those. Um, one of those people yeah
0: and we've talked about that too that you know there's all the amazing medical advances and surgeons and science and technology and all of those things that support everybody but none of it's possible if you haven't got the blood product to get you through those acute phases and it's that human kindness of going and donating blood and supporting another australian is what keeps people alive and makes everything else possible so, tell me what a day in the life of Lisa Cox looks like now.
1: A day in the life. <laughs> always involves caffeine. Good. <laughs> I have chronic fatigue syndrome now. Not so, so
0: good, but coffee. the caffeine is very important. Good coffee is very important in my life too. <laughs>
1: yes, I, I don't know how loose like, like in my blood there will be little caffeine molecules, <laughs> caffeine bits flowing into my bloodstream. <laughs> but um, I took to the gym in the mornings, um, a few shots of coffee, yeah. and then a bit of work, and then usually it'll have medical appointments, yeah. or I'll be on my computer, or I'll have different um, either presentations, mm-hmm. or, or I was at a apprenticeship the other day, or out and about or at home it really depends
0: what I've got on I had meetings today so all, yep. all support yeah when you were first doing your rehab and starting to re-enter the world could you ever have imagined that your life would be so beautiful and big and fulfilling as what it is today
1: never ever <laughs> no never never ever
0: that's amazing um, so, what would you like to say to blood donors or anyone who's considering giving blood for the first time after hearing your episode today?
1: If you are thinking about it, please, please, thank you for considering. And please, please go ahead and do it because you will be glad you did. And I will be thankful if you have already done it. Thank you very much. And so everyone who has done it,
0: thank you very much. Yeah. So the way that we write the podcast as well is that anyone who's ever been a blood donor could listen to this episode and wonder if they were the person that saved your life. So thank you so much to the person that has saved your life as a family. We are deeply grateful because it's giving you the ability to go on and change the landscape of employment and disability inclusion in Australia and that is going to make such a positive difference for my children and the way that they navigate the world. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And we look forward to seeing all the amazing things that you continue to do. Thank you, Kay. Awesome,
1: thanks
0: Lisa. I absolutely loved that chat with Lisa um, and I meant every word of what I said. The advocacy work that she does around disability inclusion in the workplace and diversity in media make such a difference for children like mine who are growing up in a world where this is becoming spoken about so much more now and just changes the narrative and the prospects that they have for their life going forward. Um, And I really encourage you to get over to her socials um, at Lisa Cox and have a look and share some of what she's doing. Um, She's just a remarkable woman and I'm so grateful to her for making the time to be on our podcast today. Nothing feels more Australian like the modern demonstration of mateship than donating blood or breast milk and this product being used to keep another Australian alive. Our daughter is still alive today because of this incredible selfless gift and it is my privilege to create a space for others to tell their stories and to give thanks. This podcast is written and presented by me, Kate Fisher. Today's guest was disability advocate, Lisa Cox. Molly's dad, my lovely husband, Jeff, does the audio production for this podcast To make an appointment to donate plasma and other blood products in Australia, please go to www.lifeblood.com.au and we would love it if you could add your donation to the Milkshakes for Mali Lifeblood team. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and share this episode with a friend. And as always, I will leave the final word to Mali. Thank you for my plasma.